Amen. Thank you, Brother Phil. Thank you, Mike. Great songs, great thoughts. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. We are on Sunday nights, as most of you know, working our way through an evening series on Bible doctrine. Uh, it is a shame to me that some people believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but they really don't know anything more about the Bible than that they were a sinner on their way to hell. Christ died for them, rose again from the dead, and offered them eternal life, and they chose that. By the way, that's all it takes to be saved. But I think we would be far wiser to first learn what uh, the Bible teaches, and then I think if you want to mature in your faith, you need to learn why. What do we believe here? What do we teach here from the Scriptures? Why do we teach that no one will ever be strong and mature in your faith if you do not know why? And that's what we're doing. Sound doctrine, of course, is the key to our spiritual stability. Therefore, the Scripture exhorts us to give attendance to doctrine. It says to take heed to doctrine. The Scripture warns that in the last days some would depart from the faith, and it exhorts those of us to believe to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And if you, do not, you and I do not know what the faith is, if we don't know what the key Bible doctrines are, it is impossible for us to stand like we should in the day and age in which God has placed us. When I spoke two weeks ago on a Sunday evening, we continued our study of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the work of the Holy Spirit in us as believers. There are many things the Holy Spirit does in us after we are saved. And at that time, we talked about the Holy Spirit being our comforter. We talked about the Holy Spirit being our teacher, and at times He teaches us directly as we read the Scriptures. Other times He teaches us through those His gifted and called to preach and teach His Word. The Holy Spirit helps us remember the things that Christ said, and you and I hide God's Word in our heart, and the Holy Spirit helps us remember those and bring them to our attention at the right moments, and the Holy Spirit helps us pray because we don't always know what to pray for as we ought, and we rejoiced that if you're a true Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and He lives in every true believer. Tonight we continue our study of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers. His ministry is very important. His work in the world is important. And His work in us as believers is also important. And because today some groups misunderstand, exaggerate, or misrepresent the work of the Holy Spirit, many are confused about His work. And sadly, the response of many biblical churches to all of this misunderstanding and all this overemphasis has been to remain silent. And I say to you tonight that as believers in Jesus, if you and I do not understand the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit in us, that we will miss some things in life that God wants to give each of His children. And I think I speak for the vast majority of the people here tonight when I say, as a Christian, I do not want to miss something the Father wants to give me through His Holy Spirit. I want to understand it and I want to benefit from it. Go ahead and stand tonight if you are able to stand in honor of the Word of God. We are talking about the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. This is our third message on this subject. Psalm 51. 
And by the way, when you read the titles in the Psalms, the titles are part of the text. Now, if you have a study Bible, like many of us do, there are a lot of study notes. Those are not part of the Bible. The titles, however, are. So notice the title of Psalm 51. It says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came in unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And so you and I are given by the Holy Spirit the circumstances under which David penned these words. We begin in verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness." According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me know, to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Thank you. you. might be seated. Now, I don't want to study this psalm in detail tonight, but I do want to point out a couple of things. The first thing that strikes me as being very interesting, especially from a man like David, who is described as being a man after God's own heart, was David's attitude when he was confronted with his sins by a messenger. Most people, when they're confronted about their sins, they're angry at the messenger. Well, they didn't say it right. Well, look at the way they are. David wasn't like that. Notice David's response was to the message in verse 3 and 4. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me and against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. David clearly, he takes responsibility for his sins. Hear me when I say a truly humble and repentant heart always stops blaming other people for our choices. I mean, David did not blame Uriah's behavior as an inattentive husband for what he did. David did not blame Bathsheba's public immodesty for what he did. Uh, David said, Lord, I'm the one who did this evil. I did this. He stopped blaming other people. And that is always essential to fixing any problem with God. Notice that the only way a believer can have the joy of the Lord in their life is by sincerely keeping our sins confessed. Notice what had gone on in David's life in verse 8. He says, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Uh, David lost his joy in all this. Uh, it was months had passed between his sin with Bathsheba and his orchestration of the murder of Uriah the Hittite. Months had passed. The child had been born from that adulterous affair. And for months, 
David sadly had gone unconfessing, not confessing this sin. He lost his joy. Same thing in verse 12. He says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. Uh, You will never have the joy of God in your life as a Christian if you live with willful defiance of God in your life. You will not have it. Joy is the product of the Holy Spirit in us. When the Holy Spirit living in a believer is grieved because of our behavior, he will not produce his fruit of joy. But that isn't really what has my attention tonight. What has my attention tonight is David prayed something that no Christian today ever need pray in verse 11. David says, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. We learned when we were studying the doctrine of the eternal security of true believers that Jesus said, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. If you genuinely belong to Jesus Christ, he will never cast you away. You would not need to pray that. But David also prayed, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Listen, if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, we learned in past weeks that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. S-E-A-L-E-D. That is the mark of the authority of God in our life. A seal of Pilate carried Pilate's authority, and nobody would dare break his seal without defying Pilate. The seal that was on the tomb of Jesus was the seal of Rome, and for someone to break that seal was to defy the authority of Rome. And if you're a true Christian here tonight, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are kept by the power of God, and you have God's Spirit live in you, and you never need pray, God, don't take your spirit away from me. See, this change in the work of the Holy Spirit happened after the ministry of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon believers from time to time for specific tasks. For instance, Bezalel and Aholiab were specially anointed with the Spirit of God to build the tabernacle in the days of Moses. If you read the book of Judges and read about the Judge Solomon, you will read uh, Solomon. Samson, you will find that uh, the Spirit of God came upon him from time to time, and the Spirit of God would come upon him to give him supernatural physical strength to battle the Philistines on the behalf of Israel. But today, we know from the book of Hebrews that we have a better covenant and better promises, according to Hebrews 8, 6. We have a better hope, according to Hebrews 7, 19. We read that God has provided better things for us. And uh, tonight, if you're a true Christian, God's Spirit lives in you. He will never leave you. You are sealed with the Spirit of God, and you never need pray what David prayed when he confessed his sin when Nathan confronted him with it. The Holy Spirit is a permanent resident in every true believer. But what does that mean to us? What does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? 
We talked about four things two weeks ago, that he's our comforter, that he's our teacher, that he is the one who helps us remember the words of Christ, that he is the one who helps us know what to pray when we don't know what to pray for as I ought. But there are other things the Holy Spirit does in our life. And if you and I want to have the full benefits of being a follower of Jesus, then you and I need to understand the work of the Holy Spirit. Please first go in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. What is the work of the Holy Spirit in us as believers? Here's number one. The Holy Spirit imparts gifts to every true child of God. The Holy Spirit imparts gifts to every true child of God. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 7, it says, but the manifestation of the Spirit, capital S, is given to every man to profit with all. Notice the Spirit manifests itself to every believer for that believer's profit. Verse 8, for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. It says, but all these work at that one and self same Spirit, dividing to every man, notice again, every believer, Severally, and that word just means your own. It means your individual gift, as he will. Every believer has an individual gift, at least one, from the Holy Spirit for your profit, and he decides what we get. Uh, God does not decide who will be saved and who has no hope but anything but hell. God does not make that sovereign choice. God does sovereignly choose how he gifts us in life. By the way, that's true of our natural gifts. If you have a three-digit IQ, you didn't earn that. God gave you that. If you happen to have the natural hand and eye coordination to be a good athlete, you might have made that, honed that in some, but if you have that, God gave you that. Uh, if you happen to have a mind that is good with language, you have a mind that's good with math, whatever it is, it, maybe you're great at working with your hands. God gifted us as he saw fit for our own profit. That's not only true with natural gifts, that's also true with spiritual gifts. God chose our spiritual gift. And if you're here and you're a true Christian, God's spirit lives in you and you have at least one spiritual gifts. Go in your Bible to Romans chapter 12. Now there are nine listed where we just read, and uh, there's quite a lot of controversy over what those are exactly. Now there's a few of them in there, like miracles, healing, tongues, and interpretation of tongues that are clearly defined and were clearly temporary. But a lot of those other things are not defined. And so, quite frankly, you know, I'm not going to be dogmatic about what they are and what they're not. Uh, but there are seven spiritual gifts that are clearly permanent. We find those in Romans chapter 12. These are certainly active today. And if you're a Christian here, a true Christian, I'm not talking about you sat in a church for decades. 
I mean, that doesn't make a tricycle a car sitting in a garage for decades. And sitting in a church for decades doesn't make you a true Christian. Having Christ in your life makes you a true Christian. And if you're a true Christian, then you have at least one of these seven gifts. Notice he lists them here for us in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. It says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Notice again, they're given by grace. Here's, he's going to list the seven, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that sheweth mercy with cheerfulness. And he lists seven spiritual gifts that are clearly permanent. Uh, I'm not going to talk about these in detail tonight. I spent 19 weeks on that three years ago on Sunday nights. If you want to find out the details on that, you can get on our website or on our podcast from three years ago. Uh, but in brief, prophecy is the first one mentioned there in verse 6. means speaking forth the word. Uh, this is no longer predicting the future like was in the days of the apostles. It is speaking forth the truth. Uh, messages I've heard over the years that impacted me most were spoken to me by men with the spiritual gift of prophecy. By the way, both men and women can have this gift. But God limited where he wants women to express that gift. Uh, don't get mad at me for saying that. I'm not the one who wrote 1 Timothy 2.12 that says, I suffer not a woman to teach, nor usurp authority over a man. God gave women that gift and says, hey, I want you to use that with other women and children. The second gift there in verse 7 is ministry, serving others in the work of Christ in some way. Listen, the most effective servants in the work of God are men and women with a spiritual gift of ministry. Believers who have this gift, you have more than a normal desire to serve. By the way, every Christian should have a desire to serve. If you have no desire to serve, you have no desire for the Bible, no desire to pray when you're not in trouble, chances are real good you're not truly saved. Because when the Spirit of God lives in somebody, He gives that person spiritual desires, and that sets a true believer apart from those who are false professors. Uh, messages I've heard impacted me most, spoken by those with prophecy, believers with the gift of ministry, make everything go behind the scenes. The third gift he mentions there is teaching. It is also in verse 7. That is speaking forth uh, and explaining spiritual truths. Making spiritual information practical. The things that people have taught me over the years were most effective in my life when it was someone with a spiritual gift of teaching. I mean, understand that teaching is not information on display. Teaching is information transferred. And if someone has only information on display, but they do not transfer any information to you, they're an ineffective teacher. Someone with a spiritual gift of teaching has the ability to make something complex more simple. 
profound things can never be communicated through the vehicle of profundity. Profound things must be communicated through the vehicle of simplicity, otherwise there is no information transferred. And like the spiritual gift of prophecy, if you have this gift of teaching, you will have more hunger for the Bible and the things of God uh, than others do. Every Christian should have some. But, but if you have an extra desire for these, chances are you have one of those two gifts. The fourth gift mentioned in verse 8 is exhortation. And that's simply encouragement and to a lesser degree challenging someone to action. You know, the most effective smiles, the most effective hands on the shoulder, the most effective words of appreciation are always spoken by someone with a spiritual gift of exhortation. By the way, whether you recognize it or not, the singers who are most effective have that gift. See, it isn't just the ability to sing that makes a singer in the work of God effective. It is this exhortation of the Spirit of God through them while they sing. And by the way, if you have this gift of exhortation, you will get special joy encouraging and inspiring others to do good or to do things God's way. Uh, the fifth gift mentioned there in verse 8 is giving. It's a special desire to give generously. Your money, your time, your talent that God has given you. The most generous people I've ever known in life, and all Christians should be generous, but the most generous people I've ever met are people with the spiritual gift of giving because they also have the gift of making, and then they cheerfully give what they've made. They're gifted to do so. Now notice the sixth gift uh, is also there in verse 8, ruling. And that's administration and organizational skills. The most effective organizers of events. But by the way, there were a lot of people this past week at Vacation Bible School here and at our three backyard Bible clubs, those went off the way they did because somebody with the spiritual gift or some measure of the spiritual gift of ruling organized that. It makes everything go better. The seventh one is the last one. He says, showing mercy. That's a special desire to give people second chances instead of the justice they deserve. Listen, the most effective people at recognizing the untapped potential of those who have failed and those who have broken are those with the spiritual gift of mercy. Please hear me when I say, if you think you have the spiritual gift of mercy, if you do not bring someone in your life with a spiritual gift of prophecy to keep some boundaries on your showing mercy, you will basically enable everybody around you and they will become an unproductive human being. Uh, if you have the spiritual gift of prophecy, you better keep somebody with a gift of showing mercy around you. Otherwise, you will not want to give anybody any second chances. You see what God did when he designed his body, and that's what we are here as Bible Baptist Church. We are a body of Christ. When he designed his body, he gifted us in a way so that working together, everything is complete and we have everything we need. By the way, thank God for the variety among us and the great value in the combination of our gifts from the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you're a Christian, you have a gift of the Spirit. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? 
Or some people have more than one. Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? If you have more than one, do you know what the most prominent spiritual gift you have is? By the way, we often find them in the things which come most easily in the work of God to us. Other times we find them in the ministry areas from which we get the most joy and satisfaction. Other times we find them in areas of ministry where we're most effective. And I've got this highlighted in my notes. If we're gifted by God, there will always be people interested and opportunity to do what God has gifted us to do. Mark it down. If no one is interested in what you believe your primary spiritual gift to be, you're gifted at something else. Now, that's a tough pill to swallow sometimes. Um, But it's true. If God gifted you, there will always be somebody or some people in your circle who need and want what God has gifted you to do. So, Brother Waller, what should I do? How do I begin this whole process? I mean, obviously, you begin the process by getting saved or you don't have the Holy Spirit in you. But you begin this whole process after you're saved. But just basically, I would recommend you take every opportunity to serve and do something until you're completely busy. And then as you work and serve and the opportunities you have, the things God has specially gifted and called you to do will become obvious to you and to others around you. May God help all of us to be humble enough to desire his plan for our life more than we desire great things for ourselves. Unfortunately, I got saved uh, 38 years ago uh, as a 24-year-old man. Uh, In those 38 years, I've seen a lot of things. And one of the things I would say sadly that I've seen is there are a lot of Christian people who are not content with the way God gifted them and made them to be. You know, one of the greatest things you'll ever do in your life is become comfortable in your own skin. This is who I am in Christ. This is who I'm not. This is how he's gifted me. This is how he's not gifted me. Hey, listen, there's a reason I don't put myself in the singing list. And if you're ever close to me when we're singing... You would know. One of the quickest ways to be less satisfied in your Christian life is to either ignore or reject what God has gifted you to do. Can I just say on a personal note, um, now for many years I have tried to follow God's gifts and calling in my life. At times... Uh, I would be lying if I didn't say to you it has been very difficult. There were times when I just really had, (laughs) felt like everyone was against me, felt like nothing was going right. Um, But can I also say that through it all, I have had great satisfaction of heart. If I could name one thing in a practical note that changed when Christ saved me 38 years ago, it would be this, I have had genuine satisfaction in my heart that I never had for the first 24 years of my life. 
Never had him. I tried lots of things. Athletics, politics, making money. But my heart was empty. Can I just say to you tonight, your great joy and satisfaction in life will come by you being saved and finding how God has gifted you and doing it. Thank God for the ministry of the Spirit in us to gift us as seems good in the eyes of our Savior. Let me ask you tonight, have you found your spiritual gift? And if you found it, are you willing to use it to the best of your ability? If you found your gift and you're using it, do you allow yourself to be content? Or because it's not what you wish, it's not bringing the recognition you'd hope, do you just live in discontentment and miss the joy and peace God wants to give you? Listen, when it's preaching time, I'm glad to have somebody who's gifted with prophecy and teaching stand up and use what God has given them. You know, when we're taking a bus uh, out for our bus ministry for uh, this week for backyard Bible clubs and vacation Bible school or taking our teens on activities, I'm thankful for somebody with a gift of ministry. By the way, when we walked in this church this morning and the grass was mowed after a busy week and the building was clean, I'm thankful for people with a gift of ministry. Uh, I'm thankful that uh, there's people with the gift of ministry who run our soundboard, who run our video, who make all kinds of things. You know those words that you look up at on the screen and say, well, what's wrong with the words this week? You know, we wouldn't have any of them if somebody with a spiritual gift of ministry didn't say, you know what, I'm going to put them up there for Christ's sake. Have you found your gifts? And if you have, are you willing to use them to the best of the ability God has given you? If you don't do that, you really will miss a blessing that our Heavenly Father wants you to have. Which brings us to our second and last thing tonight. Please go in your Bible next and lastly to 1 John chapter 4. Just talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in us. If you're a true Christian, the Spirit of God lives in you. See, why do you keep saying true Christian? Because there's a lot of people, especially in America, who think they're Christian because they attend a church. Listen, there's people been in a Baptist church for decades, and they're not any more saved than a goose in tall weeds. And no goose in tall weeds is ever saved. People are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in us? Here's number two. And lastly, the Holy Spirit is our protector from evil. Notice in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. By the way, before we go on, notice even while the Bible was being written, there were false prophets out in the world. So how did you recognize them, or how did they recognize them? By the consistency of their message with what the Bible says. Don't be surprised that there's all kinds of false messages in Christ's name today when there were all kinds of false messages in Christ's name in the first century. I I just simply remind you of something I remind you of all the time. Jesus says, beware of false prophets, which (laughs) wear sheep's clothing, but inside they're ravening wolves. 
Satan is completely ineffective unless he wears the clothing of a sheep. That's true then now. Verse 2. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now, already is it in the world. Uh, notice that the spirit of Antichrist was in the world already back in the first century. Notice that what a spirit says about who Jesus is, is a mark of whether it's a true spirit or a false spirit. Notice what he says as he concludes this thought in verse 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Who's them? That's those false prophets. That's the spirit of Antichrist. It says, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The spirit of God that lives in a true believer is greater than the spirit of Antichrist in the world. By the way, I've got that last half of verse 4 highlighted in my Bible. That's a great practical Bible doctrine. If you're saved, God's spirit lives in you. He is greater than any evil spirit in the world. As I said earlier, we're sealed by the spirit of God. And that means we have God's authority protecting us. It doesn't take a rocket science to see just how prolific and powerful the spirit of evil is in our culture. The evil of false doctrine abounds. Now, I'm not talking about minor things, about whether our words are on a screen or whether you have them out of a hymnal. We literally have people come here, and because our words are on a screen, they leave. I, I was sitting at lunch with a preacher I don't know, years ago. And uh, he said, I was going to a church the other day. I looked through the window, saw they had the words on the screen, turned around and left. I said, well, we have our words on the screen, and I guess it's better for you not to be in church than to read the hymns on the screen. I don't think he appreciated that. I'm not talking about little things. I'm talking about the person of Jesus Christ. Listen, he, he is not the spirit brother of Lucifer that the Mormons teach. He is not a mighty God, but not the almighty God of the Jehovah Witnesses. He is not the Jesus of Nazareth was not a man on whom the Christ spirit rested, like New Age people say, and left before his crucifixion. Listen, Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He was God manifest in human flesh. And any spirit that says anything different, that is another Jesus. The evil of false doctrine abounds. The evil of false spirits abound. L listen, uh, you may not like reality television shows, but I like to watch them all for a while. I just kind of like to know what makes people tick. And you know, uh, there's something spiritually amiss when reality shows about crab uh, catchers in the Arctic Sea uh, can come alongside a story about a palm reader. Hey, listen, palm reading, seances, tarot cards, that stuff is all evil. I, I get it that it's becoming more and more mainstream in America, but it's evil. You say, well, I think it's just harmless. Oh, yeah, a lot of kids do that too, and they play in a road. 
But the fact that they don't think there's any danger, it doesn't change the fact that it's dangerous. Listen, those things are spiritually dangerous. Evil abounds in the immorality of our culture. I mean, think about it. It's not just unmarried couples sneaking around in the shadows. Listen, reality shows of people naked hanging out. I mean, what in the world? Why are you trying to survive naked anyway? Duh. I mean, you can't even watch a Disney cartoon without homosexuality and lesbianism being jammed down our throat, even though two or three percent of the population uh, make that choice. I mean, evil abounds all over in our culture, the evil of drug use. You've heard me say this before. When you read the word sorcery in the New Testament, the root word is the same word our word pharmacy comes from. Understand, there's an inherent evil in drug use. I don't care if your drug is marijuana. I don't care if it's crack. I don't care if it's heroin. I don't care what it is. There is an inherent evil in modifying and putting your mind under the control of a substance. I don't care how legal it is. Our society is increasingly filled with evil. If you don't see the fact that there are evil spirits behind some deranged man who goes and shoots up an, un, uh, an elementary school, you don't understand evil. If you don't see the evil behind somebody going in and shooting up a church, you don't understand evil. Listen, on our welcome center, we put ballistic board behind the drywall. What a day. I'm glad that for every true Christian, the Spirit of God that lives in us is greater than he who is in the world, greater than the Spirit of Antichrist. He is greater than the devil himself. And that means no evil ever gets in our life unless you and I open a door to it. And what I say to you tonight is don't overestimate your strength and think that you can just play with evil and it be okay. You underestimate how powerful our enemy is. He is the enemy of your marriage. He is the enemy of you parenting your children rightly. He is the enemy of everything that is good in the world but remember, there's two forces at work in our world. Uh, there's a force for good in God our creator. There's a force for evil in Lucifer and Satan, the great deceiver. There are two forces of work at work in our world. And I'm glad tonight that as a child of God, greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. That is a part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Satan cannot come in the life of a Christian wherever a child of God refuses to open a door. Amen? Right. If you quietly stand.